Let's turn over to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. How many of you were not here last night? Could I see your hands? Praise God. Well, let me real quickly just summarize that I'm talking about what is the true nature of God. I think there's a lot of confusion, and uh, this is the reason that many of us don't have more uh, abundance and victory working in our life is because we don't really understand the true nature and the character of God. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6 that faith works by love. Faith is directly related to your revelation of how much God loves you. And there's a lot of things being taught about the Lord today that are incorrect and that, that uh, cloud our view of how much God loves us. So this is what I started talking about last night. What is the true nature of God? I showed it an example in 2 Kings chapter 1 where Elijah called fire down out of heaven and killed 102 men. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 9, Jesus' disciples wanted to do the exact same thing and Jesus rebuked them for trying to follow the example of Elijah. And I made the statement that if Jesus would have been present in his earthly body during the time of Elijah, Elijah would have been rebuked. That never was a true, proper representation of God. And yet there's a period of time under the Old Testament that the law did release the wrath of God and there was uh, a lot of harsh things done by God. I also said last night that this is the reason that the Bible said that if your child is stubborn and rebellious, you bring him before the elders and you kill him. If a person commits adultery, you stone him to death. If a person commits bestiality, Luke chapter, I mean Leviticus chapter 18 lists all of these sexual sins and if anybody does it, you just kill them. This is the reason that the Lord told the Israelites to go in and kill the men, the women, the babies, the animals. Did you know that those things are harsh and we look at that and think, man, I don't understand. How could a loving God do things like this? It was because on the old covenant, people couldn't be born again. They couldn't be changed. And so it was like an infection or something in the human race. And as severe a judgment as it was on those individuals, those people were given over to demonic things. Matter of fact, again, if you read in Leviticus chapter 18, it lists all of this sexual immorality, bestiality. And it says, these are the things that all of these nations which I'm casting out have done. And the Lord goes on to say, anybody who does this, kill them. The reason God was so severe is because it was like a cancer or an infection and there wasn't a cure in the Old Testament. People couldn't be born again. So God had to bring harsh judgment on it. But in the New Covenant, Jesus has now come and He is the cure for everything. It says over in Acts chapter 13 that through Christ, everyone can be cleansed of all things from which you could not be cleansed under the law of Moses. Jesus is the answer, the remedy for whatever the problem is. And so now, if your children are rebellious, if you want to go and emulate Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 20, where it tells you to kill your children if they're stubborn and rebellious, if you want to do that today, Jesus would rebuke you. That's not right. If you want to go out and kill somebody who commits adultery... That's not right. And yet it was prophesied or commanded in Leviticus chapter 18 that you had to do that. There is a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and yet most people don't have a clear distinction what that difference is and so they're trying to mix the two together 
And they say out of one side of their mouth, oh yes, God loves us. And then out of the other side of their mouth, if America doesn't repent, God is going to destroy us. The avian flu is going to come and kill millions of people. And this is the judgment of God. Don't you want to come to this God who loves you? And you know what? It's sending a conflicting image, a conflicting message. And because of it, people really don't know. It's kind of like, most of you aren't old enough to remember this. But I remember when I was a kid... They had a show on that my parents used to watch, and it was called What's My Line? And they would have three people come in and sign in as, you know, John Doe or whatever the person's name was, and they had all claimed to be the same person. And then this panel of four people would give them questions. Like, say, for instance, if they say they were in aviation, they'd start asking them questions, and depending on how the people answered the questions, they would make a guess on who the real John Doe was. And so at the very end of the thing, the moderator would say, would the real John Doe please stand up? And one person would start to get up, another one would push his chair back, and you're wondering, and finally the real guy would stand up. And you were always trying to guess which one was the real person. Well, in a sense, that's what a lot of people are, is, will the real God please stand up? Is it the one who wants you to kill your children if they smart off to you? Is it the one who turns around and forgives a woman taken in the very act of adultery? Is it the one who goes in and eats with publicans and sinners? Or is it the one who kills a person in in, uh, Numbers chapter 15 because they went and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day to make a fire? Would the real God please stand up? Or some people will think he's schizophrenic. You never know what mood he's in today. You don't know if this is the merciful God or if it's the angry God. And because of it, a lot of people do not have a positive relationship with God. And so what I'm going to do this morning, and this follows along with what I said last night, I'm going to start showing you that there is a misconception about the Old Testament law. And this is where a lot of the misconceptions, misunderstandings about the true nature of God come from. It comes from the Word of God. Not that there's anything wrong with the Word of God, but it's a misunderstanding and a misapplication. As a whole, most Christians today believe that when God gave the law by Moses, the Ten Commandments and all of the rituals, that this was the blessing of God. This was awesome. It was wonderful. God showing us what we needed to do to get right with Him. I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures this morning that the law wasn't given to help you, but to hurt you. The law was given to kill you. The law was given to make sin come alive. The law was not an encouraging, positive thing. It was a bad thing. It was necessary. Again, it's like amputating a a leg if you've got an infection. That's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. In that sense, the law was good. It did accomplish a purpose, but it wasn't meant to help you. It was actually meant to hurt you. And some of the things I'm saying right here, some of you are saying, this can't be. Because you know what? As a whole, Christians have embraced the law and think, oh, thank you, Father, for showing me step one through 10,000, all the things I must do to be right. And we think that this is the love of God that gave it. It isn't the love of God. It was the wrath of God And it was a very negative thing, and it was only temporary, and we are not under that Old Testament law today. And if you don't understand that, that's one of the reasons that you don't have the abundance of God moving in your life is because of this misunderstanding. Amen. Amen. I know some of you are a little quiet, thinking, can these things be so? Well, let me show you some scriptures on this. Look in Galatians chapter 3. It gave the example... 
of Abraham, how that it was his faith that made him in right standing with God, not his actions. And then in verse 9 it says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law... And again, some of this terminology, people would sit here and say, I'm not of the works of the law. The law is just simply referring to you have to fulfill a certain number of requirements in order to get God to do this. You do this, then God does that. That's law. If you think that you have to study the Word, pay your tithes, go to church, live holy, uh, do all of these things, and then, depending on how well you do it, God will heal you, or God will move in your marriage, or God will bless you financially, that's law. That's a legalistic mentality. You believe that God moves in your life proportional to your performance. That's law. That is not what the New Testament teaches. In the New Testament, God's already done it, and we just respond to what He has done. If you are thinking that I do this, and then God will do that, you're a legalist. You have a law mentality. That usually goes over about like that, but it's true. It says in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I believe that's Deuteronomy 27. It's the last verse of Deuteronomy. And he split the groups of Israel into two groups. He put one on Mount Ebal and one on Mount Gerizim. And one began to speak the blessings that would come upon you if you would keep the law. The other one spoke the curses that would come upon you. And then they concluded the whole thing by saying, Cursed are you if you don't confirm every word of this law. You know, it's amazing. People who embrace the law and believe that, I believe you've got to live holy and you've got to do these things and live a righteous life in order for God to move in your life. People who say that conveniently miss scriptures like Deuteronomy 27 that says you're cursed if you don't do them all. And people basically say, well, I know I can't be perfect, but I believe I'm supposed to live as holy as I can. And if I'll do 90%, then I either get 90% of the blessing or maybe... It's that God's got a quota. Nobody's going to be perfect, but he's got to accept somebody. So if you're in the top 10%, you get in. You know, it's God grades on a curve. But that's not how the kingdom works. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. It's amazing now people who say that I believe you've got to live holy. They will be the first one to tell you. Do you live holy? Well, no, I'm not perfect. But at least I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. Praise God. I, I'm a relative holy. You know, that doesn't work. Relative holiness doesn't mean anything. The Bible says you've got to keep them all or you need to trust in a Savior. And this is what he's saying right here. He says... For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. It was used four or five different times in the New Testament. And it shows you that even in the Old Testament, it, it, nobody was ever accepted by God through their compliance with all of the rituals. The people who really had relationship with God had relationship with God by faith. For instance, David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, you can read this in Psalms chapter 51. It's the prayer that he wrote when he repented of his sin. 
And he said in Psalms chapter 51, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. And then he goes on to say, he says, I would give sacrifice and offering, but that's not really what you desire. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. And David, according to Scripture, never offered a sin sacrifice for his sins. He never offered the the uh, peace offerings and all of the things that the Old Testament law commanded. And in Psalms 51, he showed you why. He says, because God, what you're really after is repentance and faith from the heart. And he understood that it was through his faith in God that he was justified. All of those Old Testament sacrifices were pictures and types and shadows to lead us towards Christ. But they never did anything. They never set anybody free. Anybody who was ever justified in the sight of God were justified by faith because it was written in the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. And in verse 12 it says, And the law is not of faith. (laughs) That's a strong statement. You put this together with Romans 14, 23, which says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Then you know what? The law is sin if you try and use it to obtain right standing with God. Over in Romans chapter 7, it says, Is the law sin? God forbid. No, the law itself isn't sin, but the law is sin if you use it for the wrong purpose. The law wasn't given to bring you closer to God. All of the rules and the regulations weren't to bring you closer to God. I know some of you are probably confused because this you just assume, well, God gave all of these things so that I could have a relationship with Him. Nope, the law did not help you in your relationship with God. It actually hindered you. That's what these verses are saying. And so it says in verse um, 12, it says, The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The rest of this chapter just goes on. There's some wonderful things. It says the law was only temporary. It only came until Jesus could come. And now that Jesus has come, we're no longer under that schoolmaster. I'm going to come back to those scriptures later in this teaching. But you need to go ahead and read that. All of these scriptures, these are some powerful statements. If you're going to think that God gave the law for a good purpose, well, then you have to keep it all. If you break one point, you become guilty of everything. You need to crawl out from under that Old Testament law. Look at these passages over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to these and mark these because some of you aren't going to believe that this is in the Bible. Some of you are going to believe, certainly I'm making this up. You ought to read this and mark this because this is going to shake some of y'all's theology to the core. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now that's a radical passage of Scripture. The strength of sin is the law. Do any of you feel like that there's some sin that is just stronger than you? That you're being beaten by sin? That it seems like, man, you just can't seem to overcome it? I can guarantee you, you're under the law. 
The law is what strengthens sin. The law did not strengthen you in your battle against sin. The law strengthened sin in its battle against you. The purpose of the law, I'll read this in just a minute, over in Romans chapter 7, was to make sin come alive and you die. The law wasn't given to diminish the power of sin, but to strengthen sin. The law actually strengthened your enemy instead of strengthening you. Man, some of you are thinking, why would God have done something like that? Because here's one of the purposes of the law. People were beginning to think, you know what, I'm really a pretty good person. The Bible says that they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. And you know, we still do this today. People will say, if the old hypocrites down there at church make it, I'm going to make it. What that is, is comparing yourself with somebody else and thinking that, you know, if these people get in, I'm going to get in. The only thing wrong with that logic is that the hypocrites aren't getting in. (laughs) They aren't making it. That's the wrong standard. You shouldn't be comparing yourself with the hypocrites down there at church. But people were comparing themselves and thinking, "I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I think God has to accept me. We didn't realize how sinful we were. We didn't realize that we can't approach unto God based on our own goodness. We were thinking, I'm a relatively good person. You know, I bet you that there's people sitting right here this morning who you've been raised in church, you've been a relatively good person, and you take a lot of pride in the fact that you've lived a holy life and and you are somewhat confused about how come this drunk walks in and gets healed of the exact thing that I've been trying to get healed of for two years and a drunk walks in, they haven't made a, they hadn't baked a pie for anybody, they hadn't been on visitation, they hadn't been to church, they hadn't been paying their tithes and they get it and I didn't. How come God did it for them? You know what that logic is? It shows that you're a legalist, that you are relating to God based on your performance and you think that because you're performing relatively well, then God owes you more. Certainly you ought to have more power of God in your life than somebody else. And what you're doing, you're missing the fact that a little bit of sin destroys the whole thing. God is so pure. He is so holy that it's not you just do the best you can and as long as you're better than most people, then God's going to accept you. No, you either have to be sinless and perfect and pure on your own, which none of us are, all of sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, or you need a Savior who made you pure and you come before God based totally upon that Savior. But if you are trying to approach God on any worthiness of your own, even if you're better than I am, who wants to be the best sinner that ever offended God? That's like the parent who is trying to tell his kids, you know, that you can't go to this movie. Well, why can't I go? Because there's immorality in it, sexual immorality, there's cursing, there's profanity. And the kid says, Dad, it's not much, it's just a little bit. It's not bad, it's better than this one, it's better than that one. And so the dad just finally quit arguing with them. That night, the dad made some brownies and served it to his kids. And right before they dug into it, he said, now let me just tell you that I put some dog poop in the brownies. I mixed it in. He says, but it's not much. There's just a little bit in there. It's not near as much as it could have been. And so 
There's just a little bit of dog poop in these brownies, so it'll be okay. I just wanted to let you know. Would you eat the brownies if it only had a little bit of dog poop instead of a lot of dog poop? You know what? A little bit goes a long ways when it comes to eating it, and it just defiles the whole thing. Well, people are thinking, I'm a really good person. Good compared to who? Good compared to me or somebody else. But compared to Jesus, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we're all defiled. None of us can stand before God and claim any uh, merit or that God owes us anything. But that's not normal. Most of us, we tend to compare ourselves among ourselves and we get to thinking that we're all right. So, why did God give the law? For all of the self-righteous people who were looking around and thinking, I'm really pretty good. I think I'm a, I'm, I think I'm a great person. And so God's got to accept me. I believe God, if he has to accept anybody, he's going to accept me. So God says, all right, I'll give the law. And you know what the law did? It made sin come alive. It strengthened sin. It made you all of a sudden realize, "Uh uh-oh, if this is what God demands. I thought God just demanded that I not murder or plunder or rape or do something like that. But man, if it's also talking about the intents of the heart, if I've even looked at a woman and lusted in my heart, I'm guilty of committing the act. If I've hated in my heart, I'm guilty of murder. If that's what God is really saying, then God have mercy on me, a sinner. That was the purpose of the law, was to make sin come alive on the inside of you, to strengthen it. And that's what this is saying. The law gave strength to sin. Not because God wanted sin to have dominance over you, but the truth is it had already beaten you and you didn't know it. And so God gave the law to show you that you were beaten and didn't even know it. You know, all of us have used this exact same logic that God used. Like, for instance, if you try and get somebody to do something and if they don't want to do it, you know, all you got to do is insult them. You can't do it. And you know what? You can make people do it. Just a couple of months ago, I've got this one guy who I really compete with in golf, and we have a trophy. I bought him a little black patent leather purse about this big and with a white bow on it, and I put a pink golf ball in it. And it's the loser's trophy, and I had on it, I said, just take your purse and go home. And I gave it to him when I beat him in golf. Now he's bronzed the thing, and it's on a four-foot pedestal. And it's got a sign on it that says, The Curse of the Purse. And the loser has to keep this purse on his desk. And everybody that comes in, you have to tell them the story. I've got to take my purse and go home. And I've only had that purse a couple of times over four or five years. Tim, it's just constant resident at his place. But... Anyway, a couple of months ago, we were playing golf, and we were on the 17th hole. He had me beaten by two strokes. And we were virtually laying side by side, and it was about a 250-yard shot across this lane. It was our second stroke towards the 17th hole, and I was behind. So I pulled out my three-wood, and I was going for it. I was hitting across the lake. Tim was playing it safe. He had two strokes on me. All he had to do was lay up and just get up there, and he had me beat. I pulled my driver out, and he had an iron. And he says, are you going to go for it? And I said, sure, anybody but a sissy would go for it. I said, anybody but a wuss 
anybody but a wimp would go for it. I said, you just got no gut. I started insulting him saying, you can't do it. And you know what he did? He pulled his wood out and he hit it right in the water. I got four strokes off of that one hole and I beat him. And on top of that, he got into the... uh, to this tall grass trying to find his ball and got some chemicals and he was coughing and wheezing and hacking so bad on the 18th hole he couldn't even see which direction to hit the ball. I beat him like a drum. It was awesome. But anyway, here's the logic, see. But there's something on the inside of you. You know what you should do. But when somebody says, you can't do it, You're a sissy. You're a wimp. Thou shalt not do it. There's just something on the inside of you that when somebody says, Thou shalt not, something rises up and says, Bless God, I shall. All of you are like that. And God knew. He's the one that made us. He knew what we were like. And so, you know what? For those of us that thought, I've overcome sin. I'm a wonderful person. I believe God's going to accept me just based on my goodness. I don't need a Savior. God says, all right, thou shalt not. And all of a sudden, something rises up on the inside that says, bless God, I shall. And you saw that, you know what? Sin is still there. Sin is is defiling you and that you hadn't beat it. That was the purpose of the law. The law wasn't to give you freedom over sin, but the law was to give sin an occasion against you and to make sin come alive. If you preach against adultery, if you were a pastor of a church and if you were getting up and saying, it's sin, God's angry at you, God's mad at you if you commit adultery, if you lust in your heart, and if somebody preaches against that over and over and over and over, I can guarantee you the people in that church will go commit adultery. Some of you say, oh no, it's just the opposite. I guarantee you, you go to somebody who's a legalist and preach against that, and there will be a rash of adultery. And even if people don't commit the act, they will be more drawn to it in their heart than people who don't have the law preached at them. There was a preacher of a church who heard me preaching on this exact passage of Scripture. This has been 15, 20 years ago. And this guy was in his study listening to this, and he just all of a sudden got a revelation of it. He looked out the window, and his son was out in the backyard with a group of his friends, and they'd been playing out there. So he went out to the back door, and he called all of these kids up, and he says, you've been playing great, but whatever you do, and he said, thou shalt not spit on this flower, and he pointed to a flower. And then he went back in the house, looked out his window, and he said, half of those kids walked right over and spit on that flower. And he said, the other half just stood there with their mouth salivating, wishing they had enough guts to spit on the flower. They had been playing for an hour and didn't even know that that flower existed until somebody said, thou shalt not. And then all of a sudden they wanted to do the exact same thing they were commanded not to do. That's why God gave the law. The law wasn't given to help you overcome sin, but the law was given to show you that sin has already beaten you. You can't save yourself. You need a Savior. Throw yourself on the mercy of God and quit being self-righteous. And it's one of the greatest deceptions of the devil that he has somehow or another turned this around and has had the church promote the law as if it was the wonderful thing that God has given you these rules so that you could live by them and that if you'll just do this and this and this, then God will move in your life. It's a perversion and it's the wrong use of the law. It's a total misunderstanding of the law. Everybody see that? 
So 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. The law strengthens sin. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, Who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. What's that talking about? The Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. The law that was written in these stones. It says, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? He's contrasting the Old Testament law with the New Testament grace. And he calls the Old Testament law a ministration of death. Not a ministration of life. Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. In the New Testament, life typifies, characterizes what Jesus came to do. Death is not a godly thing. God isn't the one that instituted death. Death was our choice. We chose to disobey God. We're the ones that put death into motion in this earth. Satan, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, that Jesus came to destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Satan is the author of death. God is the author of life. And the Old Testament law actually was a ministry of death. It condemned and beat people down. In the New Testament, we now have a ministry of life. In verse 9, it says, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, once again, talking about the Old Testament law, then much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God isn't the author of condemnation. Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 32. Who is he that will condemn you? It's not Christ. He's the one that died for you and rose again. God is not the author of condemnation, and yet the law is a ministry of condemnation, making you feel unworthy. The word condemned is uh, kind of a religious word that a lot of people don't relate to, but like if you go out here and if a building... In the, uh, in the UK, they call it derelict. That means that it's unfit for use. The government condemns it and you can't use it. It means it's unfit for use. That's a layman's definition of what condemnation is. If you feel unfit for use, then you're condemned. You know, there's many of you that have had God do miracles in your life. You've been born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have seen miracles. You've had your marriage healed. You've had your body healed. You've got things that could bless other people. But if I was to ask you to come up here and you minister to the crowd today, many of you have truths that could help other people, but you just feel, how could God use me? I'm not worthy. I haven't fasted. I haven't prayed. I haven't done this. You know what that is? That's condemnation. You're condemned. If you have truth, but you're hesitant to share it because you feel unworthy, that's condemnation. You know where that comes from? The law. The law shows you it's a ministry of condemnation. That's all it does is just condemn you. It doesn't build you up. It doesn't make you feel the love of God. It doesn't encourage you. The law condemns and beats down. So the law, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 56, strengthens sin. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, 3, 7, it was a ministry of death. Verse 9, it's a ministry of condemnation. 
None of those things are real good. And yet this is what the law was given to do. Look over in Romans chapter 3 at some other things the Scripture says about the law. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. (laughs) Boy, this is a major point. I'm not going to take time to get off on this. But did you know that the law was not given to everyone? It wasn't intended for everyone. It was only given to the Jews. Most of us sitting here are Gentiles. And the law was never intended for us. It is wrong that the church ever took the law and put the church under it. Because the law was only intended for the Jewish nation. It wasn't intended for the whole human race. Man, if you're listening, I'm just challenging a tremendous amount of what we accept as normal, natural. Many of you have never even challenged these thoughts. And yet this is saying that the law says the things that it says to those who are under the law, implying that there are people who weren't intended to be under the law. If you study Scripture, that's all Gentiles. You weren't intended to be under the law. And here's the purpose. It says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The purpose of the law wasn't to give you relationship with God and bring you closer to God. The law was given so that all of your excuses, all of your saying, well... Uh, the reason I'm the way I am is because I came from a dysfunctional family. It's because of the color of my skin. It's because of my lack of education. It's because people haven't given me more money. It's because their fault. They're the ones that made me. You know what? The law puts responsibility right on you and says you're guilty. It stops your excuse. It takes away all of your excuses. You are the person you are because of the choices you've made. It is not your environment that has made you the way that you are. That's the purpose of the law is to stop your excuses and to make you guilty. Not to free you from guilt, not to set you free from the guilt of sin, but to increase the guilt of sin. The law makes you guilty. You know, I was raised in a religious home. And because of that, I have ne- I'm 57 years old. I have never said a word of profanity in my 57 years. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. I am Mr. Righteous. Some of you are thinking, coffee? Are you saying that coffee and booze are the same thing? No, you've got a scripture to stand on for drinking coffee. Mark 16, 18 says you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, amen. (laughs) But I'm just saying I've lived a holy life. And you know what? It was because I was so sin conscious. It made me afraid to do things that some of you did. I I used to have a dream when I was six and seven years old. And this didn't happen once or twice. This happened at least two or three times a year, probably for ten years when I was a kid. I had a dream that I had smoked a cigarette and I got turned into the police and they turned me over to my mother and I wound up in hell for smoking a cigarette. And see, some of y'all are laughing at that. But you know what? I mean, it scared the bejeebies out of me because I thought if I ever smoked a cigarette, I'd go straight to hell. As a result, I never smoked a cigarette But you know what? I bet you that I felt more condemned. I felt more 
like God was more displeased with me than many of you who smoked, drank, committed sexual immorality. I was so ungodly, so fearful of the wrath of God. It kept me from doing some things, but sin actually had more dominance over me as far as making me feel unworthy and ungodly than many of you that were out living a terrible life and you never even thought about it. That's what the law was meant to do. The law actually restrained the amount of sin, but it allowed the sin that you had committed to just literally destroy your life. And I tell you, if God hadn't gotten hold of my life, I was just one messed up kid. I remember seeing, you know, things written in concrete or scratched on the walls in a, uh, you know, a bathroom, profanity and stuff. And I'd get condemned because I'd seen it. And it'd take me two or three days to get that out of my mind. Many of you scratched that stuff in there and you didn't think a thing about it. It's no big deal to you, but man, I was so tender that I'd just, I'd see a word of profanity and I'd get condemned and afraid I was going to go to hell because I read it. Some of you think, man, you were messed up. I was. That's what religion will do to you. That's exactly what religion does to you. So it stops your mouth and it makes you guilty before God. Then in verse 20 it says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, but for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gave you knowledge of your sin, not knowledge of God's love for you. It only amplified. It was like a magnifying glass that kept you from just dismissing this sin and thinking, oh, I'm okay, everybody sins. Sin's not that bad. No, the law is just like a magnifying glass or a microscope that made that sin so big that it just made you guilty before God. And the purpose of it was to show you that, you know what, you cannot come to God on your own goodness. You need a Savior. Quit trusting in yourself. So this says that the law gave you knowledge of sin, the law stopped your mouth, the law made you guilty, the law was a ministration of death, the law is a ministration of condemnation, the law strengthened sin. That's six negative things right there that nobody should want in their life, and yet that's exactly what the law does for a person. And if you would be honest, if I could sit down and talk to each one of you, I bet you nearly every one of you have some of these exact same things that we're talking about operating, you feel guilty, It seems like you're so conscious of your sin. It seems like you're operating in death instead of life. You are condemned instead of righteous. Sin is strong in your life. I can sit down and talk to you and you wonder why all of these things, you're born again, you love God. How come these things are happening? I'm telling you they're happening because you are living under the law. It has been pushed upon us by our religious culture today because they don't understand that the law was only temporary. It was not intended for us and they're mixing it together and this has polluted our relationship with God and it's the number one thing that's keeping us from entering into the abundance that God has for us. So it goes on to say in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is just simply saying that the righteousness apart from the law without keeping the Old Testament law was prophesied in the Old Testament. Moses prophesied that there was coming another prophet who you will hear and he will supersede me. The law prophesied the end of itself. If you really knew the Old Testament law, the Old Testament law 
admitted that it wasn't perfect. It was a temporary stopgap measure of God dealing with the human race until Jesus could come. And that's what he's referring to here. And so in verse um, 22 it says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by the grace, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. And man, there's some other powerful things right there. Just for time's sake, let me flip on over to Romans chapter 7 and look at a few verses here. I'm just trying to get this point across. I'm trying to change our concept. We've embraced the law as a wonderful thing. Oh God, thank you for showing me how ungodly I am. I know that you did this to help me. No, the Lord did it to make you so condemned and so guilt-ridden that you'd quit trying to save yourself and you'd turn instead to a Savior. Once you have a Savior, why would you go back and remind yourself of how sorry you are? And yet this is what we're doing. So look here in Romans chapter 7. It says um, in verse 5, Romans 7, 5, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, The law gave motion to sin, or life to sin. Take away the law and sin ceases to have its dominance over you. The law actually strengthens sin. So for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The law activated sin and made sin start releasing its death in your life. Man, that's so contrary to what most people think. In verse 6 it says, But now we are delivered from the law. What part of that do we not understand? Now we are delivered from the law. And yet most people will fight you. I believe we're supposed to still be living under the law. We're still supposed to be living holy and you've got to do this and this and this in order for God to do this. Man, the scripture makes it very plain. Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I'm not saying that the law is sin. Now, it's sin to try and use the law to obtain right standing with God. That's not the reason it was given. If you use the law for the right purpose, it's okay. And some of you are saying, so what is the right purpose? I'm working there. But I just want to make this point. I'm going to drive the nails in this coffin and kill your impression that the law is a wonderful thing that God gave to help you. The law was given to help sin defeat you is the purpose of it. So are we saying that the law is sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment. Sin, use the commandment to get at us. Man, these are strong statements. Sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. The word concupiscence means an uncontrolled or unrestrained lust or desire. So this is just talking about excess of emotion, excess of desire. For sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Sin was powerless. Sin was lifeless without the law. 
In the next verse it says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin made, I mean the law made sin come alive. That's amazing. It's amazing that people have missed this and thought that, God, thank you for giving me all of these commands to help me break the dominion of sin. It's exactly the opposite. God gave the law to make you lust like you have never lusted before, to make sin come alive on the inside of you, to strengthen sin for the purpose of showing you that, you know what, you hadn't been able to overcome sin. You can't overcome sin. The truth is, sin had beat us all. And we had to just run up the white flag and surrender and say, God, I I give up on ever trying to overcome sin. I just need a Savior. That was the purpose of the law. You know, if you could imagine this, just imagine a bull laying in a pasture and thinking, you know what, I'm a mean bull. I charge everybody that walks through this pasture. I shouldn't be this way. I'm going to change. From now on, I'm a sheep. I'm not a bull anymore. You know what, if that bull was thinking that way, I guarantee you just him thinking that he was different wouldn't make him different. His nature was a bull by nature. And so if you had a bull laying in a pasture thinking that he was a sheep, that bull's deceived. And that bull needs to be brought out of his deception. So you know what you do? All you got to do is go up and wave a red flag in front of that bull. And you know what? That red flag doesn't make that bull become a bull. The truth is he already was a bull. He just was deceiving himself, thinking I've changed. And, but you can't. You can't change from a bull to a sheep unless you get born again. He would have to have his nature changed. And so he needs to be brought out of deception and recognize you can't change just by thinking you're changed. You've got to be born again. And so it would do that bull service to wave a red flag in front of it and make that bull nature come up and all of a sudden this bull recognizes, you know what, I hadn't changed. I thought I'd changed, but man, I need to be born again. That would be a service to that bull. Well, in a sense, that's what God did with us. Some of us were thinking, man... You know, I'm not like this old Pharisee, I mean, this publican over here. I fast twice in a week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. That's the Pharisee syndrome. So you know what God did? says, you think you're okay? You think you're all right? Thou shalt not. And all of a sudden, you start lusting for the very thing that you thought you'd overcome. The law made sin come alive and the purpose of it was to knock you flat of your face so that you couldn't look anywhere but up and you'd say, God, if this is what it is, you know what? I don't want to be the best sinner that ever went to hell. I need salvation. I need mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The purpose of the law was to knock the wind, the self-righteousness out of you and to bring you to a place of feeling ungodly. And it's amazing, again, that the church has turned it around and said, no, the purpose of the law is to help you overcome sin. Man, how many scriptures have I used? I bet you I've used over a dozen scriptures telling you that the law was to strengthen sin, to make sin come alive, gave motion to sin. It made you guilty. It shows you your need for God. It's a ministration of death, a ministration of condemnation. How many witnesses do you need to see that the law wasn't given to help you, but rather to break you? Amen? 
For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. That was the purpose of the law, was to make sin become exceedingly sinful, to show you how bad it was, to make you so condemned that you would despair of self-righteousness. And yet, people have been trying to use the law to do just the opposite, to help you overcome, to help you overcome all of these problems and to do this. It's exactly the opposite. You know, if you are serving God out of fear that if I do this or this or this, God's going to judge me, or fear that if I don't do these things, God won't answer my prayer, the Scripture says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, whoever fears has not been made perfect in love because fear has torment. Perfect love will cast out fear. And yet most Christians serve God with a fear motivation. Fear that God is either going to judge them or fear that God won't answer their prayer if they don't do all of these things. And fear has torment. We are tormenting ourselves. Most of us are not allowing the love of God to flow in our life. We're afraid that if I just did things because God loves me and I wasn't afraid that God's going to punish me or judge me or that I had to do this in order to earn God's favor, then I'd just go out and live in sin. You know, I'm running out of time today. I'm not going to have time to go into this, but it's exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, I'll deal with this before this series is over, but this is what Romans 6 is all about. He starts off Romans 6 by saying, Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. And he gives two reasons that you don't live in sin. And the first one is, is because your nature has changed. If you've been truly born again, you don't desire to live in sin. Anybody who would take what I'm saying here today and say, well, man, I like this. You're saying I don't have to live by these rules and regulations. I can go live in sin. Whoopee. And you're going to just go out and do whatever. You need to be born again. Your heart has never been changed. When you get truly born again, God changes your heart and you will live holier accidentally than you ever lived on purpose before unless you're under the law. Now, the law will make you live in sin. The law will actually drive you to sin. That's the focus of the law, is to strengthen sin and to draw you into sin and let sin come alive and work all manner of concupiscence in your life. But if you were free from the law and just relating to God because He loves you and you were born again, your nature is to start living holy. And if you weren't under the law, you would by nature start living a holy life. And then the second reason in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The second reason you live holy is because if you don't live holy, if you don't seek God, Satan takes advantage of that sin and comes in. And if you give him that kind of an inroad into your life, he's going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. You come to Bible college, you'll learn that one, amen. You don't want Satan eating your lunch and popping the bag. 
So don't give inroad into your life. So there are reasons, there's practical reasons to live holy, but it is not in order for God to love you. God loves you independent of your actions. And some people are just saying, but man, if you were to just say this, people will go live in sin. You're giving people a license to live in sin. People are living in sin pretty good without a license. (laughs) Did you know what? The law is actually what gives sin a license against you. Coming out from under the law will set you free from sin, not free to sin. And you'll have a totally different motivation for a relationship with God. Instead of serving God because you're afraid you're going to get it if you don't, you'd serve God out of love. Did you know many people, I know some of you may take offense at this, but actually this is a good example. Some of you relate to God the way people relate to the mafia. It's like, you know, Guido... Or whoever, Luigi, comes by your place. And they say, you know, there's a lot of arson in this area. A lot of businesses are burned down. There's a lot of robbery. There's a lot of people being beat up and abused. But if you will just pay me every month, uh, I'll see to it that you'll be protected. And of course, it's Guido or Luigi who's doing all of the arsoning and killing and stuff. And what they're doing is basically saying, you pay up or we burn your place down. And so you pay the mafia to keep them off of your back. There's a lot of people that that's basically the same thing they do. They go to church and they give in the offering because they feel like, God, I've given. Now don't curse me this week. Don't cause my business to fail. God, I've paid my tithes. Now you've got to bless my business back. God, I've paid my tithes. Now you've got to heal my body. You're paying hush money to God to keep Him from doing things. It's uh, You're worshiping the Godfather instead of God the Father. Amen. Some people see God as the Godfather instead of God the Father. They aren't serving Him out of love. And we need to change that impression. You need to start serving God because He's a good God, not because He's after you. And yet, where does this mindset come from that God is a harsh, mean God that demands holiness and perfection? It comes from the Old Testament law. And I'll share this more tonight. I haven't got time today, but tonight I'll show you this, that the Lord went 2,000 years after the fall of Adam before He introduced the law because it wasn't his first choice. Galatians chapter 3, if we would have kept reading in Galatians, it says the law was added because of transgressions until Jesus could come. The law was added over 2,000 years. God dealt with people in mercy because he didn't want to deal with us and release his wrath and make sin come alive. But eventually, he was pushed into this by the human race. There was, it, the cancer... The disease was running so rampant in the human race that if God hadn't have stopped the spread of that infection of sin, it would have literally destroyed the human race. And so God had to take drastic action until Jesus came. But now that Jesus has come and now that there's a cure, God is no longer just amputating, killing people who get in His way and doing these things. We see a love and a mercy from Jesus 
that wasn't evident under the Old Testament, and Jesus is the proper representation of God, the true representation, and we need to renew our mind from that Old Testament law and understand the goodness and the grace of God. If you would understand what I'm talking about, this will make love abound in your heart. And then like Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works by love. You would wind up that, man, it is so easy to trust a good God instead of a God who you're afraid that because you haven't done everything perfect, you didn't dot every I, you didn't cross every T, God may let you die of cancer because you haven't held your mouth right, you haven't done everything exactly right. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I've been there. I know how a lot of you think. And there are many people that you don't doubt God's ability. You just doubt God's willingness to use His ability on your behalf because you know you don't deserve it and you're under the law. That's the reason you're condemned. You're, you're guilty. And that's the reason. And the only way you're ever going to get set free, you aren't ever going to become worthy. Some of you think, oh, yes, I am. I've made a commitment that I'm not going to dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to live holy. But you know what? You Right now you may be under deception thinking you can obtain some standard that will loose God in your life and allow Him to function. But no, you can't do it. I've already lived holier than most of you ever thought of. And I can tell you, my holiness wasn't enough. I had to give up and just throw myself on the mercy of God. And if I wasn't holy enough, most of you hadn't got a chance. You might as well hang it up. You might as well give it up. You're under deception. You think, if I could just give up another thing, if I can just read another hour's worth of Scripture a day, then everything will work out. Nope, that's not the answer. You need to run up a white flag and you need to say, God, it's just Jesus. I come to you in the name of Jesus. And you get it through who Jesus is. And you start putting faith in Him. And if you would understand this and understand how much God loves you, I tell you, it would just set you free. You know, I'm glad that God called me to preach this message. Because if I would have been the kind... If I would have been the kind who had lived in adultery and I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and all of these different things then people would have immediately suspected that the reason I'm preaching this is to justify my lifestyle and they would wonder what I'm doing on the side and thinking, yeah, you preach grace just so that you can go live in sin. But I'm telling you, I've lived holier than just... I bet you that there's probably not one or two people in here that have done, has lived a holier life as what I have. I'm not preaching this to indulge some sinful pleasure over here. And so those of you who think that the only reason people preach grace is so that they can just go out and live in sin, you can't say that about me. That is not the truth. Titus chapter 2 verse 12 says, The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. You will live holier serving God out of love than you ever lived out of fear. Grace does not draw people into sin. Anybody who will take what I'm saying and use it to go live in sin has totally misquoted what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, this is intended to set you free. So tonight, I'm going to pick up right here and I'm going to go back and show you how that God originally dealt with the human race for 2,000 years, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And now, once again, He's not imputing our trespasses unto us. It's just as if we had never sinned. 
Boy, radically different than the way most people think. But you've got to understand these things if you're going to understand the true nature and character of God. Why is it that God even gave the law? Why did He vent His wrath? Well, I'm going to be answering that, so I encourage you to come back. Also, remember, you can get a tape of this morning's message uh, in just a few minutes out there. Amen? Is there anybody here who's not born again today?